I learned I don't have to teach the way I was taught. That's Rachel Davenport, a senior lecturer at Texas State University. This really forced me to be creative and thoughtful about the structure of things and what to include, what not to include. Welcome to the EdSurge podcast, a weekly look at how education is changing. I'm Jeff Young, a reporter at EdSurge, and this week we continue our semester-long series taking you inside college life during the pandemic. We're hearing audio diaries from professors and students on six campuses. This is episode seven. We've been doing these every other week since the fall semester began. If you're just now joining us on this podcast journey, I encourage you to go back and um, binge all those other ones. For this installment, we've asked our diarists to reflect on what they've learned from this disrupted and stressful semester teaching and learning during a pandemic. Are there things that are working that they might actually hold on to after the health crisis ends? Are there lessons that are emerging as we get close to the end of this semester? I can tell you faculty are working on average about four hours more now versus pre-COVID, four hours per week. That's Deb Nichols, a professor who chairs the University Senate at Purdue University this semester. They just finished another faculty survey. And while four extra hours a week might not sound like a lot, that's not the whole story. If I look at, if I break it out by those who are working less, those who are working the same, and those who are working more, those who are working more are reporting 13 hours more per week. 13 hours more per week. And these are people who are already working hard. We're looking rough, um, well-being-wise and burnout-wise. So teachers are working harder and getting burned out. But is all that hard work paying off? Rachel Davenport at Texas State has put some of that hard work into rethinking a lot of her assumptions about teaching, and especially her assumptions about testing. Why have I not done open book exams? Why did I spend a decade giving closed book exams. And I can't tell you why. I mean, I think it was literally just that's the way it was done when I was a student. Now, this gets into a big debate that we could have a whole episode about, about whether open book testing online could lead to cheating. And we did do an episode about cheating, as you'll remember. But with her material, she thinks open book is working this semester. It's better in, for my class, so I don't think that this is true for all classes, but for the ones that I'm teaching, I highly focus on concepts and application, especially for my pre-med students. And so I've never been big on memorization anyway. And I also realize I forget things all the time and I go back and look them up and I'm a professional. And so why, if I can look things up, why can't my students look things up? I mean, hey, I just need a boost in this word, or what did that word mean? I mean, I'd look that stuff up, so why can't they? Um, And the exam is conceptual. I'm not just saying, hey, fill in this blank, or what's the definition of this? So the book is really truly a a supplement for, wait, what was that concept again, or what was that word again? It's not, that's the only thing it's helping them with, right? So, yeah, yeah. Why do they need close, but why do they have to memorize everything too if I don't memorize everything? Over at San Francisco State University, David Peña Guzman has had a similar revelation this semester about pushing past his old ways. But for him, it's not just about testing. You know, most of us who have a PhD and who are 
professors, we've been put through the ringer, right? We've had to jump through a ton of hoops. We have had to send applications, get accepted to a PhD program. We've had to meet all the requirements of that PhD program, often with very strict deadlines that are inflexible. Uh, We've taken comprehensive exams that are equally unyielding. Uh, We've had to write a prospectus for our dissertation, and then we've had to pop out this massive thing, a dissertation, in perhaps a year, two years, maybe three years. Um, And after that, we have to jump through additional hoops. Uh, First, there is the hoop of the market itself, trying to get a job in a market that is quite difficult to navigate um, and emotionally quite taxing. Then, Once you land an academic position, again, there are more hoops and more deadlines. And we believe that we're doing students a favor when we make them jump through hoops because we've had to jump through hoops and because we think that that's what academic life is like. Of course, in the real world, there are deadlines and students need to know how to hit them. But COVID has made him realize that the culture of deadlines might not be appropriate for an ideal educational environment. I think my faith has been broken. My faith in that model has been productively broken by COVID because this semester I decided to be hyper-flexible, hyper-accessible in terms of deadlines, extensions, assignments, formats, anything that a student would reach out to me and ask for, I made it a rule to give it to them if it was humanely possible. You know, turns out, all things are humanely possible in this context. A student said, hey, I can't make the regular Friday deadlines for our reading assignments because I work all day Friday. Can I submit it over the weekend? Yes. A student said, I can't make the midterm. Uh, Can I have two weeks um, extension? Yes. Another student said, hey, I'm having difficulty with the book. Can I just listen to it on audio? Of course, why not? And so... Now that I've seen the effects of this hyperflexibility, I don't see why I would ever go back. Something else is happening for some of the professors we heard from. And that's that even though they may never see the students in person these days, they're definitely connecting with them. That's the case for Sabina Brunswicker, a professor at Purdue. I'll learn much more about my students in particular on those big classes, because now I have MS Teams, allow them to interact very directly with me and they share their stories. So I'll learn, I'm, okay, I'm learning about things that are going on in their private life that are not necessarily COVID related, but actually also for me, sometimes, you know, they worry me um, that um, they have responsibilities at a young age that I feel like is hard to take. You know, someone having a brother going to jail, uh, another taking over custody of a, her for her sister's daughter because the sister has is a drug addict. And I have never been exposed to these things before. You know, and and you know, you know, I care about my students, I guess. So there's also kind of things that are like are new new for me and I've been a professor for a while now. So and I don't know whether they now feel more comfortable sharing it or is it because I have a different way of communicating with them? I've never heard these things before. So like directly, you know? It seems a little contradictory that during a pandemic that you'd have more um, accessibility and connection. 
That's Joseph Ching, a junior at Purdue. If you take the initiative, I think that people are actually a lot more available and are a lot more willing to actually meet up and discuss. So I did this with one of my, uh, my statics professor, and we were able to have just a one-on-one and going through some of the concepts that I was, I was struggling with. And I don't know if that would happen during a typical semester. I think it's much easier to just hop on a Zoom call than walk across campus into someone's office. I think one of the things that I am struck by is seeing, um, and this is among faculty, is seeing how much more compassionate they've become. I feel like this this situation has really made a lot of us more empathetic than usual and sympathetic. That's Rachel Davenport from Texas State again. Something that increased for me has definitely been that admiration for my students. I mean, I, I admire them anyway. They they do amazing things. Like, we have such amazing students. But I think just getting to see firsthand that resilience in them and... I, I have so many students that are just truly making lemonade from lemons. It's really inspirational and um, and encourages me to work even harder for them. So I, I teach a, a lot of pre-med students, and one of them actually late summer started a new organization on campus called Peers Against COVID. And so he got registered, got the organization registered. He's now acting president. There are a bunch of students that joined, especially a lot of pre-med students. And their role as peers against COVID is they are going into places on campus and sanitizing. So like after classes or labs um, at the rec center, anybody who requests it, they're just active all week long and um, just helping to, to make the campus safer um to be honest one day i was playing video games and it just came into my head like like this would be a great opportunity to help um the campus the students the faculty and just everyone in general and that's the student rachel was talking about his name is or belkin and he's a junior at texas state i called a few friends that night and told them about my idea and told them that i was going to start if they're interested in in joining with me and they said yeah so so students in peers against covid there are about 20 of them in the group now are going around helping sanitize classrooms. Now, maybe you're thinking, isn't that someone's job? I mean, the campus is trying to stay open during the pandemic and keep everyone safe. Well, it turns out that a lot of the sanitation is self-service. I know every classroom is equipped with a bucket for that. Um, It contains gloves, masks, and equipment to sanitize. Um, I told you I do have one Um, class in person, and I can tell you that I've never seen it once sanitized. I'm definitely impressed by this student's drive and his initiative. But it also reminds me that just about every silver lining that I heard from professors and students was still the lining of a very dark cloud. The dark clouds on this pandemic's effect on campus just keep gathering. When I asked our student diarist at Texas State, Luz Elena Anaya Chong, If she had any positive lessons she's learning about the pandemic, she sent me an audio diary. But the email that she wrote when she sent it felt more true than the tape she sent. She said, I really do not like much about the online semester, but this is the only thing I do like. 
like our schedule is a little bit more flexible in a way or for like at least classes that are fully online i think i like that flexibility of like what if like i want to go get lunch with somebody and then come back and do the rest of my homework i don't have to like um act a schedule set in stone that I need to do like we have two days and everything but as long as you made it in your own time uh everything's gonna be okay so I think that's one of the things that I like the most um I so I wrote her back to ask her whether she would ever do this online class thing again when the pandemic's over no she prefers in-person classes she replied she said It just makes it easier for me to have that human contact that's very important to me and avoid losing parts of the lectures because I don't have very good internet. It is easier to learn and not just try to get by like I have this semester. Marjorie Blen, a student at San Francisco State who we've been following all semester, had a similar reaction. The only good thing for her about the semester was essentially that it showed her how she can grapple with and overcome a bad educational environment like this one. I have learned during this COVID-19 semester um, a lot of self-discipline. I mean, I was disciplined as far as, you know, being where I need to be and submitting stuff. But, like, you know, you have these things where, like, when you go in the classroom, the teacher reminds you, hey, Friday you have your papers due and make sure you turn them in. And when you're in, you know, in the school environment, it's like you're being disciplined but it doesn't feel like it because it's just everything the environment the setting like just helps you you know with covid i had to learn how to be self-disciplined without that environment component without being in the classroom without being around you know the library or group study groups and all that other stuff and that was like looking back at it my organization skills like are a1 you know like on point to be honest with you, it's really good job skills because when you're a project manager or you have to meet a deadline or you have to do, you know, campaigns and stuff, like, you have to be self-organized and you have to do it on your own page, like, you know, on your own environment. Like, no one's going to be holding their hands and grabbing you and saying, hey, you got to do this. So I must say that's one of the greatest thing ever um, that happened with COVID. For those who have been listening all semester, you'll remember that Marjorie has been struggling and she's considered cutting back on her class load this semester because it just isn't working. But to keep her scholarships, she needs to be enrolled full-time, or at least she thinks so. So she's stuck it out this term. She is doing amazing work. But we know from our research that so many students are dropping out because they don't have the resilience and organizational skills that Marjorie has. I have to admit, I've been having mixed feelings about even doing this episode and asking people to look for positives. On the one hand, my first instinct was that there must be something we can learn from this terrible experience. But the timing for doing it, it now feels kind of off. After all, COVID case counts around the country are going up. And that means that at many campuses, the virus is feeling more and more dangerous again. Yesterday, we went fully online for classes because we hit the 100 active case threshold in a two-week period that made us move online. That's Josh Friesen, a freshman at Syracuse University. As we explained last episode, officials there have been eyeing one metric closely, the number of active cases on campus. State guidelines in New York say that colleges that report 100 or more positive cases in a fixed two-week period 
have to pause in-person teaching for at least two weeks. And yeah, they blew past that 100 case mark recently. It's unfortunate that we were going online, but like we all knew that after Halloween weekend, we were all going to, we, we were all like prepared for it mentally that after Halloween weekend, shit was going to hit the fan. And we were going to pretty much go online like a week and a half after that, which was pretty much right on. So it was, it was predicted. All semester, Josh has worried that COVID would force the university to send everyone home. He actually hasn't been that worried about his own health. He follows the protocols really carefully. He just wants to stay in person as much as possible, even as limited as it is during the pandemic. And since Syracuse University always planned an accelerated semester that would end in-person classes right before Thanksgiving, with finals being delivered remotely after that, it looks like the university is limping toward the finish line. Um, 200 was what was considered enough for us to, like, get sat home. We had three days to leave. But since everyone's already starting to move out, people will move out itself doesn't start until later this weekend. But people have already started to move out through, like, throughout this whole week. And everyone else who hasn't, like, we all have move-out times already scheduled for up until the 25th. That's the last day to move out. So I think that even if we hit 200, that we're going to get to stay here until our normal, like our signed up move out times because we already have them. So as I record this, Syracuse is at 249 active cases, but it looks like Josh is right. They're just continuing with next week's move out as planned. So Josh got his wish. And that depressing kind of pseudo victory reminds me of how I'm feeling at the end of this episode. I have a confession to make. It's not just the students who are having to dig deep to find motivation to finish out the semester. That's a struggle I'm having, too. In my case, I have been having a bit of writer's block putting this episode together, and I can't quite figure out why. Part of it might be that I think I worry that highlighting how these professors and students are making lemonade out of lemons, that it might somehow seem like the lesson of the pandemic is that online education is amazing and and more people should try to do it afterward. I feel like that is a narrative that some folks in edtech have actually been pushing lately. But that's not actually what I'm taking away from these stories we've been hearing from students and professors all semester. But if it's not like that, what is the message? And why am I sort of out of gas when it comes to figuring it all out? So I called up my editor, Rob McGinley-Myers. Rob has been a producer for national radio shows, including The Writer's Almanac. And he has a great occasional podcast of his own called Anxious Machine. Anyway, yesterday I was stuck, and so I called him up for help. I'm going to press record now just to see if it works. Um, Yeah, it's recording now. Can you hear me? I told him how I was struggling to find anything meaningful to say here about these increasingly grim campus circumstances. And he told me how his own experience with the pandemic had sort of followed a similar trajectory. I mean, it's funny for me because... My experience of this pandemic has been that, um, like, at the start of it, even though it caused me a tremendous amount of anxiety, it also made me feel like there's, I remember hearing somebody say that anxiety is is something that sharpens the senses, you know, like when you're experiencing anxiety, all of your senses get turned up. And I definitely felt that way. Like, I would, like, go for walks and I felt like I was noticing everything about the world and I was thinking about the world And it just made me increasingly aware of everything that was going on around me and all the changes that were happening. And then there came a point at some point during the summer 
where it was like, I just stopped. I don't know if it was, it felt like the world stopped changing as much or I just got exhausted, but I just like, now everything seems the same. That's me. That's, that's where I'm at. I think that's where I'm at in this, in producing this podcast. Like I, I have run out of, and I, I feel like it could be that it's just me and that I am somehow failing the audience, but I just don't have that drive right at this very moment to be like, like I did throughout the rest of the season to be like, wow, it's all so yeah, crisp. And there's something, something here to, to really take down. It just feels hard. Yeah. (laughs) There's one diarist who seems to have figured out how to cope. It's Natalie Ricciardi, who's a junior at Chapman University, a private college in Southern California, which has shifted from online to in-person and back again this semester. I think, honestly, the main thing that I've taken away from COVID is a heightened awareness of my interactions with people and a heightened awareness of all of the people I've connected with through college or all of the patients that I'm interacting with in the hospital. And really it's just given me an appreciation for human interaction. I never considered myself that much of an extrovert. I mean, I did enjoy being social. I I still do, but I always have enjoyed just having time to myself and COVID has definitely given me that. Um, and I have to say, I think COVID may have turned me into an extrovert because all I want to do now is be around people. I do not like being alone. (laughs) And, you know, I think that's a really positive thing to think about when it comes to the COVID situation, because it's really easy to fall into a negative mindset. But I think it's really important to acknowledge that There have been good things that have come out of COVID, and one of those is just a deeper appreciation for people and forming relationships. So COVID has helped her see the value of relationships with people. But as she said, she doesn't now get to see people as often as she'd like. So that's why she added a new relationship to her life. This weekend, I got a dog. It was pretty unexpected, and I never really planned on getting a dog in college, but here we are. COVID does that, right? <laughs> so he's sitting in front of me right now playing and he's just the sweetest little thing. And I didn't sleep for more than like maybe five hours last night, but I don't even care because he's so sweet. His name is Kobe and he's a little black and white Havanese puppy. And he's very crazy and also very, very sweet. And so I think that he's going to be a really good addition to the family, and he's going to give me a lot more excitement (laughs) as I continue to do school online. Now, I don't think I'm personally getting a dog, but that is how we're going to end this episode, by being thankful for what we do have. Have a great Thanksgiving, everyone. This has been the Ed Surge Podcast. Okay, before I do the whole credits here, I do have a quick request. If you like the show, please stop, look at your podcast app, and give us a rating or review. I know I say this every episode, and I guess every podcaster says it, but this really helps. According to some email we recently got, I think we're moving up the podcast charts, uh, at least in the education category recently, and things like ratings really help that. 
And also subscribe if you haven't already and share the Ed Surge podcast on social media. This episode was written and produced by me, Jeff Young, and you can find me on Twitter at JRYoung. Thanks to the students and professors who are taking the time this semester to send their diaries and share their experiences. Rachel Davenport, Deb Nichols, Sabina Brunswicker, David Pena Guzman, Peter Sands, Luzelena Nayachang, Joseph Ching, Marjorie Blen, Adrian Davis, Natalie Ricciardi, and Josh Friesen. You can read more about all the diarists on our show page at edsurge.com. This podcast series is supported by a reporting fellowship from the Education Writers Association. Music by Ruhavel and Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks also to Sasha Eslanian. And as always, a thanks to Tony Wan, managing editor of EdSurge. We will be back with another regular episode of the podcast next week. And stay tuned. I think we're going to take a couple weeks off uh, before we get to a final episode of this series, The Pandemic Campus Diaries, to wrap up the stories we've been hearing all semester. So look forward to that. Thanks for listening and be well.